Howdy, folks. Today, we are talking about 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. This is a great passage in the midst of the context we're talking about. I just want to remind you a little bit. Uh, hopefully, you're following this study. Hopefully, you started in chapter 1, verse 1. Just to get our mindset where we need to be, we're in the midst of a context that's going through chapter 4 about living above reproach. And as we were talking about in verses 11 and 12, living in such a way in this world that Christians abstain from fleshly lust at war against the soul, conducting ourselves in an honest manner, in a virtuous manner, in a worthy manner in this evil world so that when people would speak evil about us, our good works would speak louder than their false accusations. So we talked about in verses 13 through 16 about submitting ourselves to the, the laws of man, to governors, uh, to those that are put in place to punish evildoers, not as a Christian using liberty, lose, using that freedom in Christ as a way to cover up our maliciousness or evil doing, but to be servants of God. Verse 17 is a great mindset passage in the midst of this con context where submit to those in authority and government, verses 13 through 16, verses 18 through 20 is going to talk about submitting to those who are masters, so that would apply to servants, to slaves. We're going to talk about that in our next podcast. So this great mindset passage you know, how do you look at yourself as a Christian in the sense of how you relate to all of humanity, how you live in this world? Remember part of what we read last week in Romans 12, 17 through 18 says, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Well, verse 17 is going to give us the mindset, the approach that we need to be able to take to be able to do that. As you study through the New Testament, you see that Christians are to be, quote unquote, do-gooders, right? Galatians 6, 7 through 10 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially those of the household of faith. Well, this fits into what we're talking about today. Among ourselves and others, 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that none render evil for evil, unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and toward all men. Now, you know, a lot of times when you look at the scriptures in the King James uh, Version, you'll notice words in italics, men in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 is in italics. It was added by the translators. Uh, but the idea is simply to do good towards all. If that's our mindset, I'm trying to be good towards all men, towards those that would be good to me or those that would not be good to me, toward those that are in authority 
even if they're abusing their authority, like we talked about last week, like we will talk about next week. This ought to be our mindset, right? We're not a rebellious people, not a rebellious mindset, not I'm going to stand my ground and cause the earth to tremble underneath me when it comes to things that don't matter to God. When we think of doing good, when we think of the mindset, it's not like the world often has. You know, we're right now uh, at that time of year, at least in the culture of America, where people have the do-good mindset a lot of times. It's like it comes around for them once a year. Like, I'm going to be a good person once a year. That's not the case with those that are in Christ Jesus. Our good is not occasional. It's not annual. It's not weekly or bi-weekly or monthly or bi-monthly. It's always. Titus 3.8 and Titus 3.14 say, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. That's Titus 3.8. And Titus 3 and verse 14, it's something we keep up with. Now, when we talk about good, we have to allow the scriptures to define good, right? This isn't for me to say, I think this is a good work, or I believe this is a good work. I believe, or I think, however people might constantly phrase that. Remember, you know, the, the what we think is good sometimes, in fact, with humanity, most of the time isn't good according to God. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 16 and verse 25 of the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 21 and verse 2, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Look, you might think it's good. You might think it's right, but does God think it's right? And how do we know that? Well, we know that from the scriptures. Paul told the evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We open our Bibles. We see what's God called good. What conditions fit his meaning of good? And let me give you an example. We live in the world of political correctness, right? So in the world of political correctness, somebody might tell you, don't say this or don't say that. You know, one of the popular things right now is to change the pronouns of he or she and to they or them, etc. Well, you know what? I'm not going to confuse people. I'm going to call a man a man and a woman a woman based on, you know, what identifies them as such. Why? Because if they're confused, I ought to care enough to correct that. Well, that's what the Bible says is good. And Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I'm going to be open. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to correct that which pertains to a person's soul. 
I'm not going to jump all down somebody's throat if they think McDonald's is better than Whataburger. You hear me, Paul Lovett? I'm not going to jump down your throat. Whataburger might be better, but I'll let you have your opinion. Hope you get that that's a joke all there, right? We all have different tastes. All that doesn't matter. We, we don't really care about those things. But if you are confused on something that's going to cost your soul, I'm going to care enough to do good by giving you the information you need to live right before God. In Acts 20, verse 20, the Apostle Paul, talking to the Ephesian elders, says how I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. If it's profitable, I'm not going to keep it a secret. There's a qualifier there, though. There are some people that we ought not waste our breath with. In Proverbs 9, 7 through 9, he that reproveth a scorner giveth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man giveth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. So there's going to be those that we know are going to reject the message. We, we get to know people. We know who they are. We know what the way that they think, that they behave. So there's some, some people we're just not going to take the time because it's just going to end up becoming a problem. And that comes back to the mindset of, hey, live peaceably with all men as much lieth within you, the Romans 12, 18 passage. So we have to be able to measure and we have to be able to think, does God think this is good? Not whether or not I think this is good, but does God think this is good? For example, I'm not going to go to Pride Day Parade in El Paso, Texas and stand there with a sign uh, that says, remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, that may be truth. I know what's going to come about by me going to Pride Day and doing that, right? So I'm not going to involve myself in that situation. I'm not going to be the troublemaker in that way. That being said, we're not going to go to the other extreme and refuse to use frank or blunt words when the situation is appropriate. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 12 says, seeing that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. When there is an opportunity to tell somebody the truth, I'm going to do good, you, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, need to do good in telling that person the truth. What, like Jesus, right? In Matthew 23, 13, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go yourselves, neither suffer ye in the entering to go in. Hey, Jesus didn't back off here. He gave them exactly what they are. You're hypocrites that are keeping people from heaven as well as yourself. To the Jews, in a context in John 8, 54 and 55, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I should be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. There are times where people who are dishonest need to be called liars. And Jesus didn't shun away from doing that when the situation called for it. Peter, when Simon the sorcerer, a babe in Christ, erred, and wanted to be able to purchase the ability to lay hands on like the apostles could 
to give the Holy Ghost. In Acts 8, 20 through 24, Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Peter was very direct, even with this babe in Christ who could have been easily offended, told him to repent of his wickedness and did not give him any false assurances, right? Now, that may mean that we're going to have enemies for doing so. To the churches of Galatia, Paul wrote in Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That may be the case, but it should not be our intent. We ought not be out there trying to be people that create enemies with our speech. There are those people that look to be offensive just to be offensive. Remember instructions like Hebrews 12, 14? Follow peace with all and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The word that men is in that verse too, uh, italicized, if I remember correctly. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all. We, we want to be those people who measure, according to the scriptures, the right times to be offensive and the right times not to be. And most people tend to err in not saying anything when they really should. But there are those few that want to go contrary to the context we're studying and go out there and create or generate problems in times when it is simply not the right way to be. Folks, it is not good to aid somebody in a way that would hurt them. Aside from using our speech, I want you to think about this. This time of year, people want to quote unquote be giving, but who are you giving to and are you really helping them? There were Christians in Thessalonica that did not want to work, that is gainful employment. So Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13, as well as Silvanus and Timothy, who are accredited with this epistle said in verses 10 through 13 of 2 Thessalonians 3, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread, but ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing." the instruction to Christians about other Christians was if those Christians are not going to work, then they need to reap what they sow. Going back to, you know, principles we talk about in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, which is amazing to me that people will look at verse 10, but then they'll refuse the context. There are those that need to reap what they sow. If you have chosen to be a bum, you deserve to starve like one, not be fed. That's not helping the poor. That's lending a hand towards sinfulness. Here in El Paso, we have quite a few bums. And, oh, that's not politically correct. I can't remember what the term is 
was it uh, unhomed or some I don't know some weird junk that is going around now that you don't want to call people homeless you so forth so on well you know there are people in this world that suffer from poverty but the majority of the people in the United States that are suffering from from homelessness are doing so by choice I've had plenty of direct conversations with people holding up those signs. Even the sign that says, we'll work for food. It's crazy how many times I've put that to the test and have seen, no, they won't. Here in El Paso, uh, in fact, not just in the city of El Paso, but just the other day, Katrina and I and Taylor took a little drive up to Las Cruces. There's a ice cream place up there that Katrina really likes. We took a little drive, went up there, got some ice cream, and behind this ice cream place up in Las Cruces, there's a homeless encampment. I mean, tents, grocery carts. Hey, by the way, you know the thing amazes me? While, while, while we're out there, we saw somebody pushing a grocery cart down the street, and we saw a police officer drive by. Where do you think these grocery carts have come from? Right, and so somebody goes to Walmart, steals a grocery cart to carry their things around. Isn't that a crime? But this police officer drives right by, doesn't do anything. I mean, this guy didn't make that grocery cart, and he didn't go and buy it. You know, it's not in aisle 10 of Walmart that you can buy a grocery cart. But it's ignored, and it's ignored by society, and people say, oh, this poor homeless person. Listen, that person is able bodily able, but chooses not to work. So the Bible says, even if that person was a Christian, neither should he eat. You're not doing good. You're not seeing good if you're aiding that person to continue in that sinful lifestyle. We have to keep all of this in mind as we approach 1 Peter 2.17. Because if we go off the rails, then we're not actually honoring the word of God. We're dishonoring the word of God. To With all of that in mind, 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor all men. We're going to talk about what that means. It says, love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. So 1 Peter 2.17 has one, two, three, four sentences in this one verse of Scripture. To honor is to prize, to fix a valuation upon, to revere by implication. That's Strong's definition, Strong's number 5091 of Tim A. Hope. Thayer says to fix or to estimate and fix the value for the value of something belonging to oneself, to honor, to have an honor, to revere, to venerate. That is the word there as it relates to honor all. It's the same word when we get to honor the king, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Some examples of the usage of that word, that Greek word in the New Testament, in Matthew 19, 19, honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So just so we get this, and I love this part of Bible study. There are people that attribute a greater value to honor thy mother and their father than they ought to. 
And I think 1 Peter 2.17 is a great point of balance because the same word is used in how we are to look at all mankind. John 5.23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which he which has sent him. It's not a different Greek word and it's not a different meaning. It's see the value of, understand the value of the father and the son. In Acts 28, 8 through 10, came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. Now that that is fascinating, right? Because when you look at the way that that word is used there in Acts 28 and verse 10, okay? Honored us is the very next Greek word. With many honors is the same word we're talking about now. They recognized the value. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. They recognized the value they revered, okay? Ephesians 6.2, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Same Greek word. 1 Timothy 5.3, honor widows that are widows indeed. Same Greek word. So as you look at this study, as you look at it and you think about it, you think about the meaning of that word, prize, to value, to revere all man. It's about your mindset. What is your mindset towards all people. It's also translated valued. You know, when Judas betrayed Jesus and he came in Matthew chapter 27, verses three through nine, and he says, I've sinned. I've betrayed the innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? And they decided to purchase a field. They called it the field of blood. And then it was fulfilled, that which is spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. So valued and value, same Greek word. I think that gives us great idea as we look at this word. You know, look at the value of something. You, you, you go grocery shopping, you go anywhere else. Uh, uh, recently, uh, was just out doing some shopping, decided not to buy some things because the price and the value just were not the same. So think about it that way. With that in mind, honor towards all. That is value to prize, to revere all, not just our brethren. Why don't you think about an instruction because we're talking about mindset here. 1 Peter 2, 17 is a mindset passage, okay? Matthew 5, 43 through 48 says, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do you not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So I want you to think about this passage, and I want to go back to some of the things that we talked about in the introduction of our lesson. When we're doing good to all, if the idea behind me doing good is I see the value of humanity, 
That changes why I do good. I don't do good there to get glory, to get praise. I'm not doing good there for others to see me. I'm doing good because I value somebody, okay? How I relate to other people. If I'm doing good by telling somebody about their sinful behavior, I'm not going it to get honor and praise. Like, oh, you stood for the truth. You're a contender for the faith. Like I think of people that have these YouTube channels and, and put things on the internet and they do it to get the praise and glory and honor of men. They do not care about souls. They're doing it for their own glory. So they say and they do things for their own glory. You know, a lot of the people that need corrected out there, do it in private. You don't get the glory that you get for doing it in public, right? Think about it that way. Why am I doing this? Why am I exposing this false teacher? Am I doing it to be called a contender for the faith? Or am I doing it to help people? Because we're to mark those that cause offenses and divisions contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, Romans 16, 17. Why am I doing it? Well, if I value all men, if I honor all men, if I revere all men, I'm doing it to protect them. The same way you might post something on a public bulletin board to make notice of a criminal activity in your area, right? Why am I doing that? What purpose is behind it? Why am I using frank or blunt speech? Am I doing it to get people to go, woo, look at him, he's a champion of the faith. He's the David versus the Goliath of the world. Am I doing it because I value people's souls? If you're helping somebody who is truly, genuinely poor, you're doing it to help them get off their feet, right? Yes. That's why you won't do it to the person who is choosing to do nothing and hoping to get help to continue to do nothing. You see that mindset, that mindset, seeing the value of people, that mindset takes you in the right direction. As Christians, Christians are God's children, right? We are God's children. He is our Father. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And just so that we get some gender information out there here, it's not just sons. That's just the speech that is used there by John through the Holy Spirit. Sons and daughters is used in 2 Corinthians 6.18. Where the children of God is the point. Well, as the children of God, this mindset instruction in 1 Peter 2.17 keeps us from getting an elitist mindset, Right? We cannot get an elitist mindset. We're to Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies and kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. If I value, revere all men, that keeps me humble. It doesn't give me the I'm God's child, you're not God's child, I'm better than you mentality. That's challenging let me tell you, this is why it's challenging to faithful Christians. Faithful Christians abhor Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. That means hypocrisy. 
Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. If we abhor that which is evil, it is easy to get an elitist mindset. I'm better than you because I'm God's child. You're the devil's child. But if I value man, I want to bring him away from being the devil's child. Proverbs 29, 27 says, An unjust man is an abomination to the just. He that is upright in the way is an abomination of the wicked. If I have the 1 Peter 2, 17 mindset, I want to rescue you from being an abomination. But if you choose not to, I'm going to keep my distance. I'm going to abstain from you. I'm going to avoid you. But I'm not going to have an elitist mindset because I see your value. And see, that's taught to us throughout the scriptures in different ways. In Luke 15, first seven verses, the, the whole chapter, you know, if you want to do a great study, just go through all 32 verses. First seven verses, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Just think of that. Oh, look at him. He's eating with sinners. They have an elitist mindset. Says, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. He spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he found it, he layeth upon his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which needeth not repentance. Think about that. Jesus says, look at the value of one lost soul, verse 99, just. Think about the value of creation. Acts 17, 26 through 29, where Paul is speaking in Athens on Mars Hill, says of God that he had made of one blood all nations for men to dwell on the face of the earth and had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though it be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of our own poets have said, for we are his offspring. For as much then we're the offspring of God, we ought not to think that God is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art and man's device. Paul's point there is they had made an idol and they missed who God is. But in the midst of that context, we get valuable thought that mankind is the offspring of God. If we recognize that, it's not very hard to honor all men. James 3, 9 and 2 says, Therefore, or therewith, speaking of the tongue in the context, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. When you look at this world, who am I cursing with my words? God's creation. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if men sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For whom did Christ die? The whole world. 
So when I don't value man, I'm dishonoring the value that Christ put on man and so much that he loved enough to die for all. That ought to be our mindset. That doesn't keep us from, you know, and again, that's why we balance this lesson, right? Same Jesus who valued all men enough to die for him called a liar a liar and a hypocrite a hypocrite. Don't lose that balance, okay? Something that I see very often. One of the greatest tragedies of the human mind is that people tend not to be able to reach the balance. It's one extreme or another. There's a balance. Meet that balance. Follow after what God calls good. From honor all, the next instruction, love the brotherhood. Now, the brotherhood is our brethren in this world. 1 Peter 5, 9, whom resists steadfast in the faith, speaking of Satan in the previous verse, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So we love the brotherhood. If we're Christians, if you're not a Christian, you're not part of the brotherhood. You are part of a brotherhood. You're part of the world. But your brethren, there in 1 Peter 5, 9, if you do a little bit of a word study and love the brotherhood, it's the same Greek word. It's the fraternity of Christians. Strong's number 81. The only two times you see that Greek word in the New Testament is in 1 Peter 2, 17 and 1 Peter 5 and verse 9. We've already talked about in our study of this epistle, brotherly love, back in 1 Peter 1, 22, saying you've purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. There's a sense where we value all men, but then there's an intimate relationship we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, in John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another. Beautiful passage. Beautiful passage. Now, we're studying 1 John here. When you study 1 John 2, 3, 4, and the first part of chapter 5, brotherly love is over and over and over again. Why? Because it is a huge component of the Christian faith and a great, tremendous benefit on earth of being a Christian is brotherly love. You know, earlier I talked about Romans 12, 9, to abhor that was evil, cleave that was good. Verse 10 says, be kindly affection one another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. So it's preferential treatment to our brethren. And it's a continuation Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. We're going to talk about it again in 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, be of one mind, having compassion on another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Brotherly love is a specific in the New Testament taught. So therefore, we often focus on our brethren and locally more than anything else. There's the, there's the love the brotherhood, but then there are those we see at least, at the very least, every first day of the week. And let me tell you, if it's less than that, if you're not seeing your brethren throughout the week from time to time for different means and opportunities, 
you're missing out on something and very, very possibly, I'm not calling you a sinner because I know there's different circumstances and situations that apply to all, but it's very possible that you're a sinner. When we think about our brethren locally, the brotherhood is broader. Locally, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 25 through 27, that there be no schism in the body, but all members have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. One member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you're the body of Christ and members in particular. I, I, I use this illustration when I'm teaching Bible classes and we're talking about this. And I've known brethren that have amputations. It's terrible. Uh, one brother, Jack, who passed away here years ago, Jack Pritchard, he had both of his legs cut off, knee down. And man, you know, you'd never know it, but he had such challenges. And when you go to his house, he had parallel bars set up in his backyard because he would do workouts. Being able to balance himself, catch himself, do all kinds of different things. His bed had pull-up uh, ropes with handles on them so he could get out of bed. And he put his, his uh, prosthetics on. Poor brother. Felt terrible for him. Very difficult. For him to walk. But without his prosthetics, even more so. His legs would have benefited greatly. His body would have benefited greatly. What a dumb statement. His body would have benefited greatly had he had all of his legs. When we were apart from our brethren, we're separated body parts. We work better together. Think about that. Beyond our local brethren, though, because that is the instruction of love the brotherhood. Think about Acts 11, 27, 30, where in, in those days came prophets from Jerusalem and Antioch. Stood up one of them named Agabus, and he signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout the whole world. Came the pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So the disciples, every man according to his ability. So each individual Christian wasn't a collective decision. Determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which they did, send it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. That's what ought to happen. It ought not be, hey, those are our brethren, but they're not here. You know what? They fend for themselves. Love the brotherhood covers that. In Romans 16, first 16 verses, Paul says, I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is in Centria, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint's that ye assist her in whatsoever business she have need of you, for she hath been a succor of many and myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the churches in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia, unto Christ, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andrachinus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amphilus, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, and our helper in Christ. Estachis, my beloved. Salute Apuleius, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Astrobolus household, salute Herodian, my kinsman, 
Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphonea and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen and his mother and mine. Salute Astrocrinus, Phlegon, Hermonus, Patrobus, Hermenes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philogus and Julia, Neris, her sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Therein you see execution of love the brotherhood. Care about love, greet, know about your brethren beyond the borders of the local church. The next sentence, fear God. Not a hard one here, right? Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. It is not that we're to walk around shaking when we think about God. It is relative to judgment. I love this. See the value of man. Love your brethren beyond the local church. Fear God. Just throw that in there. Fear God. Why? Because if I disobey this commandment, there's judgment to come. If I excuse myself in this context and say, you know what, I hate our government. I'm not going to be a servant to anybody. I don't, I don't love the world. I hate, I hate it. I want no part in it. I mean, you can even use scriptures to justify that, 1 John 2, 15 and others. Peter says, fear God. Remember who's telling you this, right? To whom does the word of God apply, fit, and do we obey? You know, those that don't fear God don't care about the word of God, right? Paul said in Acts 13, 16, stood up beckoning with his hand, men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Those that don't fear God don't give audience. Verse 26, same chapter, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, whosoever among you feareth God to you is this word of salvation sent. If people don't fear God, they're not going to listen to what he says. Philippians 2.12, Paul said to the brethren there, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not my presence only, but now much more my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Give fear to whom fear is due most. So this fits our context, right? Obey the government. Obey your masters, but don't forget about God. This is a balance point. Like I said, this is a great mindset verse. It's wonderful. I don't know how any man could put it in better context than Peter. It's why I love using the scriptures to preach. I have a lot of ideas, but they're just nowhere near as good as God's, right? It's the, the, the Bible. The, preach the word, man. 2 Timothy 4.2. It explains itself. It does a great job, right? In the context of our lesson, give fear to whom fear is due. Matthew 10, 28, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Same point, Luke 12, 4 and 5. I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more than they can do, but I will forewarn you of whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Wow, wonderful. 
And it's not that fear is our only motivator because perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4, 17 through 19. But it is an effective motivator, right? I'm going to love God and therefore I'm going to serve him. But if I decide to walk away, Psalm 89, 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hebrews 10, 31, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, that mindset, I'm going to fear God. I'm going to fear falling in His hands. I'm going to fear what would happen to me if I reject His counsel. The wicked don't have that. That's why I don't listen to God's word. Psalm 36, 1 says, The transgression of the wicked saith in my heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. So they don't care. Whether it's this lesson or any other, the wicked doesn't care because they're not afraid. Lastly, last sentence in our verse, honor the king. Now, we talked about this last week. We talked about civil authority. We talked about it in 1 Peter 13, whether it be to the king as supreme or as you went on to governors, etc. One of the verses we talked about last week is Proverbs 20 and verse 2. The fear of a king is a roaring of a lion. Whoso provoking to him the anger sendeth against his own soul. We honor the king. In Ecclesiastes 8, first five verses, who is as the wise man and who knoweth the interpretation of the thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not an evil thing, for he that doeth whatsoever, whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth his the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart disowneth both time and judgment. Be wise. Be wise. Obey those that have government authority. The king in Proverbs 24, 21, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given the change. Don't challenge that. Just remember, though, who the real king is, right? Who the ultimate king is. First Timothy 6, 14 and 15. Paul says to the evangelist Timothy that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, under the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm not going to re-preach last week's lesson. I'll leave it there. If you want to talk about civil authority, we talked about people that might use the excuse of, but the government's evil or the government does. We talked about all that with verses 13 and 16. Go back and listen to that. Just understand the commandment is fear the king. Not above God, but fear him. So next week, next week, with the mindset of verse 17, we're going to talk about servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. That's going to be our lesson next week. 
I'm very thankful to have this opportunity to preach these wonderful words of God unto you, and I'm glad that you have listened. I'd love for you to reach out to me and let me know if you're benefiting from these lessons, if you're enjoying these lessons. Statistically, I'm not seeing a whole lot of people. I think across all platforms, 50 to 60 people a week or so are listening to this. Hey, that's that's fine by me. Uh, that's more than more than one person. I'm I'm good with that. But I'd like to hear from you at some point. I'm not hearing from a lot of you. Maybe you could help uh, cultivate future lessons if you'd get in touch with me and let me know who you are and where you're from and what you'd like to learn about from the scriptures. Thank you so much for listening. Reach out to me. My contact information is available to you wherever you're getting this podcast. I, if all goes according to plan, I shall be back on Tuesday with uh, Tuesday's podcast. Until then, I'll say goodbye.